everybody, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. On A Green Way Forward, we look at issues, organizations, and events, but specifically through the lens of the four pillars of the International Green Party movement. Peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. On this weekly show, we have a very special guest, Tim Canova. Tim has been challenging Wall Street banks and political corruption for virtually his entire adult life. He's an activist, an attorney, an educator, a frequent commenter on the rigged economic and political systems that are putting Wall Street and multinational corporations ahead of ordinary Americans. In my opinion, Tim is uniquely positioned to really shape up Congress. That's right. Tim Canova is a people's lawyer and a social change agent who is actually running for Congress. Tim Canova, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Thank you, David. It's great to be with you. So before we get underway, I feel obliged to share with uh, our guests, uh, our, our viewers and listeners, uh, that I actually knew Tim even before he ran for Congress. This, this is his second run. Uh, but I met Tim when I was with Move to Amend, traveling the country. He invited me on several occasions to speak uh, to his law school class, uh, at Chapman University, uh, and uh, was very astute in his understanding of corporate constitutional rights. Frankly, we developed a bit of a friendship, uh, so I just want to name that right up front. But I do remember, Tim, uh, at that time, you were a progressive Democrat and pretty connected and committed uh, to the Democratic Party, but you're no longer running as a Democrat. So tell us a little bit about your trajectory, your run for Congress. Give us the thumbnail. Well, when I met you at Chapman University in Southern California, it was the early nineteen, uh, the early two thousands, I believe. Yes. And, uh, I uh, I got very uh, involved in the Obama campaign as a volunteer. I donated to his campaign in two thousand eight. But by the time the election came, I was already aware that he was outraising John McCain on Wall Street by a mile. And of course, within a couple of weeks, he had named Larry Summers and Timothy Geithner to his administration. So I had a very sinking feeling it was not going to turn out real well uh, for working folks, for the environment, for all the kinds of progressive values that we care about. Um, I, uh, I did vote for Obama again in 2012, but I, um, I, I registered as a non-party uh, affiliation uh, in 2012. So I actually left the Democratic Party, even though I was still voting Democrat in the presidential election uh, and in many other elections. Um, but in 2015, uh, I changed back to Democratic uh, registration. I was getting very involved at that time with the Citizens uh, Trade Campaign in uh, lobbying against the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And uh, my local congresswoman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, was the only Democratic member of Florida's House delegation to vote to fast-track the TPP. So we were looking for someone who would challenge her in a primary. This is a very Democratic district. It was gerrymandered for Wasserman Schultz. And um, we were unable to find anyone willing to challenge her uh, for all kinds of obvious reasons. She was a well-funded incumbent, and she also happened to be the chair of the Democratic National Committee. So folks started to put the bug in my ear that I should step up and challenge her. And the turning point was really at the end of 2015 when Wasserman Schultz and, uh, had used her position at the DNC to freeze the Bernie Sanders campaign uh, out of the, 
the Democratic Party's voter database, the VAN voter database. And uh, Bernie sued the DNC and raised a million dollars in one day. And at that point, I realized um, if I run, I might actually be able to raise money in small donations, uh, grassroots donations online. And that's exactly what happened. We ran a, a great campaign in 2016. It went viral. Uh, we raised almost $3.8 million without me calling anyone and asking for a dime. It was all online, uh, small donations, um, uh, over 200,000 donations of about $17 each. And we poured the money back into the field. Um, you know, the, the political consultants want a candidate to spend something like 75% of what they raise on the political consultants, and I wasn't going to have any of it. So, uh, you know, to give you an idea of our field operation, during the Sanders campaign, Bernie had only one field office in all of South Florida. In my congressional campaign, we had four field offices in my one congressional district. And at the peak of the campaign, we had an army of volunteers and field organizers, and we were knocking on 10,000 to 12,000 doors a week. So it was a massive effort. Our internal field numbers showed us doing a lot better than the final result, which uh, gave us some reasons to doubt the, um, the actual outcome. Uh, I, I started to, a number of election integrity experts, people who study elections started to contact me and uh, to express their concerns that something um, fraudulent had happened. Um, it took me a little while to, um, to get myself together and to challenge, um, well, I, I can't call it a challenge. We sought to inspect the ballots to verify the vote. We used Florida's public records law and we put in a public records request, our first one in November of 2016. And the long and short of it is three requests later, seven months later, uh, we were being stonewalled by the Broward Supervisor of Elections, and I filed the lawsuit in June of last year. While the lawsuit was pending, the Supervisor of Elections destroyed all of our paper ballots in violation of federal law, in violation of state law, in violation of court rules because it was destruction of evidence of, a, of an ongoing litigation. And uh, just about two weeks ago, uh, the court ruled in our favor and granted a summary judgment. Uh, so... Uh, I will say, if I can just back up a little bit, that I had uh, announced last summer that I was running again for a rematch, and I was running as a Democrat. And I had reservations about running as a Democrat again uh, for all the obvious reasons. Uh, I think the ballot destruction was sort of the tipping point uh, this spring when it became obvious during the winter that um, the supervisor had destroyed the ballots. We had her admitting this on videotape deposition. And I reached out to party leaders in Broward County, Miami-Dade, all over Florida to ask them to join me in calling for an investigation. And I didn't get a single response, uh, you know, and that, and that was the, the last straw for me. So I decided to run this time as an indie. Um, and it's an interesting um, district because even though it's a heavily Democratic district, um, independents are second uh, ahead of Republicans uh, in, in numbers in this district. And of course, we see that happening nationwide. Um, I think nationwide, the numbers now are that independents make up about 45% of the uh, overall electorate. Folks, you're watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with Tim Canova, a citizen activist, uh, educator, uh, social change agent, running for Congress as an independent against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please, and you're watching live on Facebook, 
please make it a point to ask that comment or question. Executive producer Michael O'Neill will harvest that. And I do want to remind folks that we are building an audience daily. Uh, if you would like to be aware and made aware of what our guests will be coming forward, please go to the website, agreenwayforward.org, and sign up so that we can continue to build this network to talk to each other without the corporate filter. I got to say, Tim, before we even made a call for comments and questions, they really started to pour in. So I'm going to cherry pick a couple of these really quick. I'll try to get to as many as I can. Craig wrote in to say, hey, Tim, you sat with Jill Stein in the past. Why haven't you decided to help us build the Green Party in Florida? You know Greens have ballot access in enough states to win the presidency. Why not get your hands dirty and party build with us? Well, it's a good question. I've been very sympathetic to the Greens for many years. When I was a law professor at the University of New Mexico, we hosted Ralph Nader more than once. Uh, I've always seen myself as a fellow traveler with the Green Party. Uh, I, I had been a lifelong Democrat, and um, you know those kinds of uh, sometimes they're just emotional allegiances that build up over time. Uh, I considered myself a Democrat, and during the 1990s started to understand quite well where the Democratic Party was going under Bill Clinton, that it was becoming a corporate party, and uh, I tried to stay and fight for as long as I could. And I think that's why um, I ran as a Democrat last time around. I thought if we could take down the head of the DNC in a primary, this would be the kind of change that needs to happen in the Democratic Party to shake things up. Well, I've given up on the party, uh, although I'll say I support a lot of Democrats around the country, progressives, who are challenging Democratic incumbents. Uh, I've been endorsing a lot of folks and trying to support them best I can. And I made this point when I saw you the day after the inauguration in early 2017. Right, we had our own counter inauguration. It was a Green Party, I, I think, sponsored event, um, and a number of other groups I think were involved. And I made that point that I thought uh, it was important for progressives to be out there fighting and running for office, whether they were doing it within the Democratic Party or outside the Democratic Party. I support a lot of Green candidates, and I have over the years. I look at my district, and I think every district is different. Obviously, there are very few Greens in this district. There are other parts of Florida that might have more greens, but this particular district, uh, it's, we're really talking about a couple of thousand greens and libertarians. Almost everyone else is a registered Democrat or an independent, a non-party affiliation, or a registered uh, Republican. Um, and you take a look at the younger generation, these millennials and Gen Xers and younger, and the numbers that are coming out right now are, are really startling. Uh, that something like uh, as much as two-thirds or 70% of them are, are registering no, no party affiliation. You know, Tim, uh, that's a, an important point you're making because as I've been watching it, and I know that you are both a historian and a lawyer uh, and an expert on uh, Wall Street, uh, but my assessment is that we are witnessing something that hasn't happened in 100 years in this country, and that is genuine political realignment. Am I going too far? Do you think I'm right? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I do think you're right. And I, I'd say I was um, maybe slower than some others in coming to that conclusion, but I have come to that conclusion now. I said nationally, something like 45% of, of citizens are now non-party affiliation. It's all, independents are almost as large a group now as the Democrats and Republicans combined. And you know, there are folks who say to me, you're running as an independent, you're going to be a spoiler. You're going to be like Ralph Nader in 2000. Well, 
my response to that is twofold. One, that for every Democrat who defected to vote for Ralph Nader in 2000, I think a dozen Democrats defected to vote for George W. Bush. So enough with blaming Nader and the Greens already. Secondly, the world has changed a lot in 18 years since Nader ran. The two parties are more disgraced than ever. It's been 20 years of failure and corruption, and people have had it. So they are leaving. They're looking for alternatives. Um, I, I'm not going to say that the Greens are not a possible viable alternative in certain jurisdictions around the country, and maybe in the future as a real uh, party. Uh, you know, I mean, a party that uh, will emerge as a real contender uh, with these, uh, with this duopoly, uh, that I don't know. But but when you see so many people leaving those two parties, right now they're going independent. Are they going to stay independent, or will the, will it be a move to the Greens or to some other third party in the future? You need a crystal ball, and uh, and obviously we don't have one. So, Tim, uh, again, we've gotten a lot of comments coming in, so I'm going to roll a couple of uh, the comments in and then come up with a question. Uh, first, I got to say, Kathy writes in to say, I am thrilled Tandis, Tim is standing up for election integrity. Jen writes in to say, good luck, Tim. We're pulling for you. I hope you embarrass the hell out of Debbie Washerman Schultz. Kennedy writes in to say, Tim Canova is fantastic. Debbie Washerman Schultz is a liar and a criminal and should be indicted for felony and fraud, election interference, and tampering. Those pretty strong language, but I did want to give you uh, a sense that we've getting, you're getting a lot of love uh, here on a Greenway Forward, a lot of way to go. Uh, and also, there seems to be a lot of folks who are really watching the shenanigans that took place uh, in your district uh, with that election fraud. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, and folks should be keeping track of this particular election fraud. You know, so many candidates, when they lose, they're shamed into keeping their mouth shut. If they've got certain suspicions that there might have been election rigging, uh, they're really shamed into, keep, in, into staying quiet about it and not challenging the system. Uh, they're told you'll never be viable again. You'll come across as a sore loser. And of course, that's the way the press has tried to paint my, just my request to inspect the ballots even. Um, and I didn't care at that point. Uh, I'm not a professional politician. You know me as a law professor. Uh, and I think it's too important to reveal what's wrong with our election system. And there's a lot wrong with it. Uh, I've come to the conclusion um, since my last race that uh, this country needs paper ballots and we need to get rid of the electronic voting machines. Uh, they can be hacked by foreign or domestic sources. Uh, the software can be manipulated and we're not allowed to even inspect the software because it's proprietary. It's owned by uh, the private software companies that are hired by the local boards of elections and supervisors of elections. So there's so much opportunity for uh, wrongdoing in the counting of the ballots. And this country for 200 years didn't have electronic voting machines. We should be able to count ballots by hand in public. The federal government is wealthy enough. It has the resources, should be able to hire 100,000 Americans, 200,000, whatever's needed. This should be a citizen's responsibility to spend election evening counting ballots in public, making sure that the elections are transparent and verifiable. And all over Western Europe, they've, they've banned the electronic voting machines for these reasons. So we're trying to get to the bottom of why the supervisor of elections destroyed our ballots. Uh, we're asking the governor of Florida to fire the supervisor of elections, to effectively suspend her, remove her, and replace her. And we're calling on uh, 
the federal uh, law enforcement, the Department of Justice, the, the FBI, and state law enforcement to start investigating because these are crimes. Um, the supervisor of elections violated a number of laws that are actually punishable by, by jail time. And uh, I think we need to find out if uh, any political actors were involved in the decision-making to destroy these ballots. Good for you, Tim. As somebody who, as I think you know, in 2004, I called for recounts in not only Ohio, but New Mexico, Nevada as well. Uh, the Greens were at the forefront of helping to build the movement for election integrity and against those DREs and electronic voting machines. So just want to thank you for continuing to fight the fight that needs to be had over election integrity. I'm going to roll in uh, a comment and a question now. B. Amy writes in to say, it's important to build the Green Party and other third parties. With that being said, we should also support the independent candidates to align with our shared values. And a, a, a question that Jonathan asks, which is related, Jonathan asks, what steps can we take to make sure that both the DNC, that is the Democratic National Committee, and the Republican National Committee actually allow plurality of thought in the debates since they have a monopoly over those debates? Well, it'll be interesting to see the way debates play out in my district. Uh, the last time I ran in 2016, Wasserman Schultz avoided debates like the plague. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it. I think a lot of people did. Uh, in this day and age, everybody who's out there, everybody who's listening or watching this interview uh, is in effect uh, a citizen journalist, uh, potentially. We all have our smartphones. Our smartphones have uh, video cameras on them. And the last campaign, uh, there were so many folks who were following. They, they'd bump into Debbie Wasserman Schultz and they would ask her a simple question. When are you going to debate Tim Canova? And they'd put it on videotape. And of course, <laughs> she would stare like a deer in the headlights, turn and walk away real fast. And we took a collection of those clips, three or four of them, and put them together in a 30-second commercial that we put on the internet and later on TV. And uh, over July 4th weekend, we flew airplanes up and down the coast here in South Florida, the small planes that were pulling banners saying Debbie Dodges debates. So it got to the point where she was highly embarrassed. I think there's a better chance for debates now that I'm an independent. Um, I'll be on the ballot in November, which means after the August 28th primary, there'll be a Republican candidate, a Democratic candidate, who of course will be Wasserman Schultz, and I'll be there as an independent. And I think it's that much harder for Wasserman Schultz to avoid a debate knowing that if she does, it'll be uh, on stage will be not just me, but a Republican candidate and, and hopefully some media coverage as well. Folks, you're watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with Tim Camo Canova, uh, educator, social change agent, and candidate for Congress as an independent, challenging Debbie Washerman Schultz, former chair of the Democratic National Committee. There's a follow-up question from Craig that I think is pretty intriguing. And he asked, Tim, would you consider coming out to our Green Party convention this summer and sit with our leadership? Where and when is the convention, David? It's going to be in uh, uh, June in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, do you recall when in June? You know, I'll follow up with you uh, offline so that we can let Michael O'Neill come in with the question. But uh, I love the fact that that was your response was to ask uh, the date. And I'll look at the date why Michael O'Neill asked the question. Michael. Hey, Tim. Uh, so uh, something that we deal with here in New York State is... Um, 
you know, in a lot of parts of the state, it, it's very, you know, Democrat oriented. And so when we're running as a third party, or in your case, running as an independent, um, the press will sometimes say, well, you know, we'll cover you after the primary, you know, like we're covering the primary right now, you're not in a primary, so we'll get to you after the primary. And then it can be kind of a bait and switch, because after the primary, it's already considered to be kind of a done deal, who, you know, whichever party controls the district, you know, they're then considered the presumptive, you know, winner of the election. Uh, it sounds like you're dealing with a little bit of a different dynamic there. Uh, like, you know, what is your campaign? You know, how are you working with the press and with people to say, you know, this is not about just, you know, waiting out the primary. You know, I'm the real progressive in this campaign. Uh, this is the campaign we need to build. And uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I think my race is unique, uh, probably. It's hard to, to gauge uh, completely how much it differs from other other campaigns. I'm running against an opponent who's got universal name recognition, which is usually a great advantage for, for her, it, it, you would think. But in her case, it's not. Um, uh, she's, of course, um, become so controversial for the way she lied and cheated during the, the last presidential primary as the head of the DNC. Um, the media still favors her, the local media. When I say local, you know, the Miami Herald and the Sun Sentinel, the two local newspapers, are actually part of, they're both parts of the second and third largest newspaper chains in the country. Uh, McClatchy for the Miami Herald and the Sun Sentinel, the trunk group. Uh, so I think- um, So corporate media, let's just call yes. it what it is, um, yes. corporate thank, media. Thank you, yes. And which means that a lot of these journalists don't really have much autonomy. And the, the surveys of journalists nationwide are showing this, that a, a very small minority of journalists even think they have any autonomy anymore. Editors have less and less autonomy. The marching orders come from the corporate headquarters a thousand miles away. So these papers are not looking to give me a break. The corporate uh, TV media usually is hostile to me. But, you know, we keep fighting. And I think in this day and age, an awful lot of folks don't get their news from the corporate media, especially younger folks. Look, if younger folks step up, if this generation is ready to come of age in 2018, it's going to be a great year for me for Greens, for progressives. If they wait until 2020, it's going to be a long couple of years until 2020. So that's well said. And as part of that sort of stepping up, I want to follow up uh, with Craig's uh, question and information for you, uh, Tim, and that is that the Green Party's annual national meeting is July 21 and 22. Uh, it is in Salt Lake City. And if there is any interest on your part to coming out, let me know. I, you know, uh, or if you want to just if you want to break the news that you're free and you want to come, you can break it here. But uh, both my, Michael O'Neill and myself would be more than happy to facilitate uh, the kind of dialogue with Green Party formal leadership uh, uh, to engage you if that's of interest to you. Thanks. It is of interest. Uh, I would have ruled it out if I were running as a Democrat because I'd have an August 28th primary and I wouldn't want to be leaving the state or the district that close to the primary with a November. Uh, election, a general election, it's a possibility. Uh, I don't want to commit to it. I really have to go back, look at my calendar. I love Salt Lake City. Uh, last time I was there was to speak at a University of Utah conference about Mariner Eccles, the Federal Reserve Chairman during Franklin Roosevelt, who was from Salt Lake City. Uh, ah. And I, I know I've got a lot of Green Party friends like you and others. So, uh, you know, if I can do it, I will. 
Yeah, well, that's fantastic, Tim. And I got to say, uh, folks, uh, we haven't had a chance to really go deep on Tim's uh, uh, issues. I would encourage you to take a look at it, uh, the website. Michael O'Neill, I know, will drop that website into uh, the comment section. You can take a look at yourself. But frankly, you would be impossible, I think, to, to find much daylight between Tim Canova's position and Green Party's positions. Uh, uh, there is a disagreement on whether to run independent or green, but Folks, that's a tactical disagreement, not a substantive one. And I never allow tactical disagreements to turn my friends into enemies. Uh, so, Tim, we did get a, a pretty hard, provocative question on Palestine. So I just want to uh, I'll read the statement uh, and let you respond to it. Uh, Tricia writes in to say uh, the real issue for Palestinians is that their land was stolen from them. And it's been a genocide and apartheid situation ever since by the Israeli government. What's your response? Well, I, uh, I, I have favored a two-state solution uh, for a Palestinian state and, of course, uh, a Jewish state of Israel for many years. Uh, I've traveled to Israel a number of times. I, I worked on a kibbutz, a left-wing Peace Now kibbutz in the 1980s. Um, that Peace Now kibbutz is not really Peace Now anymore. I mean, this is after two intifadas. This is a war zone, and you can demonize either side. The Israelis are constantly demonizing the Palestinian leadership, and the Palestinians, of course, have a lot of reason to demonize the Netanyahu government and successive um, Israeli governments. It's an intolerable situation. I spoke out um, in early April when I announced I was running as an independent. Um, I gave a, a rather lengthy statement as to why I was running independent, and I outlined our issues. And I talked about the importance of an agenda for peace. And I singled out Israel and, and expressed my frustration and disappointment uh, that Israel had acted way disproportionately in firing live ammunition at Palestinians in Gaza. Now, that kind of a statement might not be enough to satisfy folks like, like Trisha, Trisha. And I think um, I've corresponded with Trisha over um, uh, over social media in the past, and I, and I respect her her view and her passion here. I really do. Um, but this is a very Jewish district I'm in. It's got the highest number of Holocaust survivors, I think, in the country. Uh, and I myself have a lot of attachments personally to Israel. I'd still like to see a two-state solution. Of course, the question is whether uh, it's too late for a two-state solution. There's lots of experts on all sides of that issue, uh, whether it is too late or not. Uh, I think you take a look at the Middle East, and it goes beyond Israel, obviously, now. This seems to be a state of perpetual war. And there are rather strong corporate interests in the United States and elsewhere in the world that like it that way. We have not had a real kind of global or regional uh, disarmament agenda uh, since I was a child. You know, when you think about uh, words like arms control and disarmament, you've got to go all the way back to Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev and, you know, U.S.-Soviet uh, strategic arms limitation talks. Um, we need to be having these kinds of, um, uh, this as our agenda right now. I think we need to convert uh, the arms makers and the arms traders to more peaceful pursuits. Um, you know, you take a look at the world we have, whether you're talking about pipelines and fossil fuels, or you're talking about perpetual bloodshed and big profits for arms dealers. We want to put an end to all of that. 
but we have to think what's going to replace it. You know, fossil fuels, we know what we want to replace it with, solar and wind and renewable, sustainable energy. And we have to have a plan how to finance that, how to get there. When you're talking about Israel and Palestine and the entire Middle East, which has been on fire for decades now uh, in a perpetual state of war, we have to have a plan on what to replace it with. You know, the populations of each of these countries, whether we're talking about Palestinians or Iraqis or Syrians, this has been, um, even before the bloodshed, it was a Great Depression for people. When you've got lots of folks unemployed, underemployed, without useful work that gives meaning to their lives, it's more likely to fuel xenophobic movements, fascist movements, mercenary movements, um, all that has to change. So I, I think it's it's not just a simple question of let's denounce Israel and say we're all for boycotting Israel and some, somehow things are going to change on a dime. Uh, I think we need to have negotiations with our enemies. The Israelis have to negotiate even with their enemies. You don't make peace with your friends, you make peace with your enemies. So Tim, thank you so much. For, I, I, I know it's a big topic. I appreciate the clarity uh, that, with which you responded to the question, but this 30 minutes has just flown by. I do want to give you an opportunity for closing thoughts. Uh, so Tim Canova, uh, share thank with you. us your final thoughts. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I, it, it. You're right, David. It really did fly back by 30 minutes. Um, I urge folks to go to our website at timcanova.com and to check out our issue statement, you'll see that we have a very progressive agenda. And it's not just Medicare for all, it's jobs for all. My view is that we are in year 10 of a Great Depression for most Americans. You know, this recovery has been very good for Wall Street. It's been a trickle-down recovery. The Federal Reserve showered trillions of dollars in low-interest loans on these big Wall Street banks and even bought up their bad assets, the mortgage-backed securities from them, trillions of dollars more in purchases. They've done nothing for Main Street. We've been living in a time of austerity for decades. Austerity breeds privatizations, mass unemployment, underemployment. Like I said, we need a full employment program in this country. That's what I'll be bringing to Congress. And of course, as we've already discussed, I think election integrity has got to be the most important issue. We will never have jobs for all, Medicare for all, and other progressive types of um, solutions, including uh, you know, 100% renewable energy, if we're not counting everybody's votes. Uh, we cannot look the other way at all of these election frauds because it just normalizes election fraud uh, on an ongoing basis. So that's what my campaign's about. I hope folks will go to timcanova.com, contribute a little money and spread the word to others. It's a real grassroots campaign. I don't take any corporate money at all, but that puts a lot of pressure on us to raise money from the grassroots and small donations. So thank you so much for having me on, David. And I hope I get to see you in Salt Lake City, perhaps. But either way, I hope we continue this discussion. And, and uh, I hope the Greens will be supporting me. I'll be supporting your agenda. Thank you so much, uh, folks. That was Tim Canova, an independent candidate for Congress, challenging uh, former Democratic National Committee chairperson Debbie Washerman Schultz. Tim is running uh, in southern Florida. I want to thank Tim for coming on to the program and answering these questions. Of course, always a thank you to executive producer Michael O'Neill, who makes this happen. Uh, but a special thank you, as always, to you, the viewer listener, with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron. The revolution may not be televised, 
but it will be brought to you by ordinary people using non-corporately filtered sources of news, information, and analysis. And that's what we strive to do here at A Green Way Forward. So please go to our website at greenwayforward.org and sign up so you can be made aware of upcoming events, upcoming guests. Uh, again, thank you so much to Tim Canova. Thank you to Michael O'Neill. And thank you, the viewer. And I hope that we'll see both Tim and you, the viewer, in Salt Lake, July 21st and 22nd. Peace. A Green Way Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.